Hello and welcome to the Great Lakes Fishing Podcast. Today, our guest is Captain Gerard Urbanozo. Gerard is a charter captain out of Lake County, Illinois. He's on the west side of Lake Michigan, just north of Chicago. Gerard, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, great to have you. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always, always looking for new guests. And I actually spotted you by uh, doing a little YouTube. We call it research, but really it's just sitting around and watching videos about fishing. Uh, I saw you doing a video on small boat salmon fishing on Lake Michigan, and I thought that would be, you know, a really good topic. It's a topic we've covered before on the show with some other captains, but what I saw from you was was a few different points that I hadn't heard before, and just I, I just thought you did a really great job with that video, and if people are looking for that video, they can go to the Lake Michigan Angler YouTube channel, and uh, right now it's kind of right at the top there, but uh, just uh, small boat setups for big water salmon. Uh, first of all, Gerard, what do you consider a small boat? A uh, typical small boat for us is uh, probably average around 18 foot. You know, that's about uh, perfect size for boats here on our shore, uh, especially during the summertime when we have a lot of west wind. Uh, our predominant wind is from, comes from the west. So guys with a small boat, you know, they can fish two, three miles out with no, with no problems with an 18 foot boat. Um, I mean, some guys will have, you know, the, your your full-size walleye boats, which run about 21 foot. And we've had guys here as small as 16 foot that come out, you know. I'm also a kayak angler, so when we get these west winds, we can go out there even on a, on a kayak, a 14-foot uh, kayak, and, and catch salmon. So we're fortunate yeah. to have that. Yeah, it's nice that uh, you can kind of, you're on that side of the lake where you're on the least side of, of the wind, and, and you've got some opportunities to get out there. Um Let's talk a little bit, though. We're talking small trailerable boats. What are the benefits of fishing out of a boat like that? Obviously, uh, a lot of the people that we talk to on the show are fishing out of, you know, 31 Tierra type boats. What are the benefits of fishing out of a boat this size? Well, one of the benefits is you can move, for us here, we can move south or north, you know, fish. We're typically fishing out of Winthrop Harbor. We can go down to Waukegan. We can go up towards Milwaukee. So we have those options where we can just move our, our launch our boat in different harbors. But with a smaller boat too, you can also be stealthier. You're not as loud as the big engine uh, Tierras like you mentioned. So we can actually get to the shallow fish a lot easier. We're not gonna spook them as much as a bigger boat would than 20 foot or less, especially for spring cohos when they're, when they're holding shallow. And I've seen that too with a kayak where we can go through with a kayak or a small boat and here comes a big boat and they just spook. Tell us a little bit about the disadvantages. Obviously, uh, it's not all uh, honey out there in the, sm in the small boats. What are some of the disadvantages, things that people need to be aware of if they're gonna take their small boat, their multi-purpose boat that maybe they're using on inland lakes, and they're gonna go out in the big water? And definitely the wind is our limiting factor. Um, sometimes when guys see a west wind, they, they hop on out and run as far as they can with the waves, but you have to think that you're going to have to come back against those waves on a west wind. So it can actually make it for a, a rough ride back in going against the west wind. You know, sometimes a building east wind is a little bit better than a, a building west wind. So you can actually ride it back in. So wind is definitely the limiting factor. And for us, you know, 15 miles or less is usually fishable, you know, from on a smaller boat. And when you see that wind switch, you know, just kind of take note when you start seeing white caps, it's time to head back in. 
So wind and wave is definitely the limiting factor for a smaller boat. All right, we're talking small boats. We're talking the ability to move, and with that comes boat launches, and that's something of the 31 Tira. That boat's in the water all year round, but you're pulling your boat out. You're putting it in. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some boat launch etiquette? And it's something that I see quite a bit uh, on the inland lakes, and I'm sure you see a lot of it uh, on the big water. Uh, just people kind of maybe need a little refresher on what to do when they're putting their boat in. Um, the main thing is at the prep area, I think when you pull in, you want to make sure that you're not holding up the line. Um, for me, I have everything ready. When I get up to the launch, I just pull up, unbuckle and launch. I got, you know, my boat is already set up and ready to go. You know, don't set up your rods right there at the boat launch because you're, you're going to make a lot of guys mad by, by holding them up. So one of the main key is get all your rods ready before you get to the launch or, or at the launch site, you know, go in the parking lot, prep everything. Uh, in fact, prep everything the night before because one of the critical things is you want to get out there as early as you can, launch your boat and get out and fish. Don't waste 45 minutes setting up your boat right there at the boat launch. And when you're backing in in the morning, turn your headlights off. I think that's another main key is you're going to blind the other guys launching. So do your, do your fellow fishermen a favor by turning your lights off on your headlight on your car when you're at the launch ramp. Yeah, I probably keep those running lights on, but uh, the headlights off. Yes, the running lights on. <laughs> you don't want anybody to hit you, but uh, yeah, I, I saw that in your video, and I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't launch too often in the dark, but uh, people that are, are out on the on the big lake moving their boats in and out are, are launching in the dark off, and that's a, that's a great tip. I love it. Uh, probably one of the biggest factors in success is going to be how you set up your rods. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you set up the rods on your smaller uh, Lake Michigan boat? Um, same thing as in a big boat, but just like on a smaller scale. Um, the first thing I'll set up is my downrigger rods. So I need something in the water right away when I get there. So it's either, uh, you know, I'll put a spoon down right away in the morning and then follow a dip cease and then my board rods. So the key thing is just to get something out as fast as you can. You know, the fish are going to be active in the morning. So the quickest one is going to be your downrigger, your dipsy, and it takes a little bit longer to, to spread out the, your lead course or your steel or your copper or weighted steel. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about just kind of how you're setting your, your downriggers. Uh, what do you have for line of the rod? What are you using for releases? Kind of go through that a little bit for us. I really, I hate... Um, Bias towards a Scotty release. It's nice. You can grab it with your hands uh, without you know, much problem. And we tie a little bit longer leader from the cannonball to the Scotty release itself so that when you get a light biting fish, you can see it from the rod tip. And we basically, for spoons, we basically just put it even uh, with a black line. Uh, for If we're running Dodgers, we'll push it past the black line for a little bit more tension. Um, and you know, your typical line for us for spoons, probably about 15 to 17 pound test, a little bit lighter. And for our Dodgers and Dipsy, you can go 25, 30 pound test. Uh, used to run lighter when I was just fun fishing with friends, but you know, when you're taking clients out, they get more excited. So I've gone a little bit heavier and as long as you use some leader, uh, fluorocarbon, it doesn't seem to affect the bite. Yeah, things have really changed on Lake Michigan lately with uh, with water clarity. How, how's that affecting your setup? 
Yeah, I, before I never bothered with fluorocarbon, uh, you know, 10, 15 years ago, you can get away with anything. Plus, we had a lot more fish back then. And now it seems like I'm, I'm using more fluorocarbon for leaders just to keep it honest that, you know, at least it doesn't hurt me. It, it probably does add more bites. So I've been using fluorocarbon leader a lot more now, even with my flies, dodger fly or spoon setup. And what, what does your dipsy setup look like? Uh, fairly simple. I use uh, Power Pro uh, to uh, 40 pound braid to my uh, Dipsy and about a five, six foot leader. Uh, nothing longer because it makes it harder on a small boat to reel in. If your leader is more than 10 feet, then you have to hand line it in. I know a lot of tournament guys like longer leaders to get more bites, but you know, if I'm running trips in my smaller boat, I'll keep it about an arm's length. That's, you know, five, six feet so that I can net that fish easily to a uh, to, to my dodger. Because, you know, when like I said, when you have clients and they're excited, it's, it's hard for them to hear you sometimes to back up or slow down. You know, they just want to crank up the reel. And with a long leader, it just doesn't work out as well. All right, let's talk about your planer boards. I know you run some lead core, uh, you run some copper. Tell us a little bit about that setup and what you're doing on your planer boards. Uh, lately, the last few years, the planer board uh, bite has been probably uh, hotter than the, our downrigger bites over here on, on, on the west side of Lake Michigan. Uh, we've been incorporating more coppers and lead core. So on a typical summer spread, I'll have a three to four collar on, my, on the outside board and seven, eight, and then a 10 collar. And then if I add a copper on the inside, it would be, either be a 200 to 300 copper on my inside boards. And lately we've been using uh, the bigger Ninja boards. Those are really, really, really good for tracking and uh, and putting out the 300, it makes it a lot easier because they, they track really well. And you've got your dipsies and in, in your downrigger at the back of the boat. Uh, I see you, you have a tree on your boat for your planter board lines. Where do you have your tree set up on your boat? Uh, when I first started, I had it a little bit too far forward, and I actually had to move it a little bit uh, back a little bit. And because I wanted to use the bottom, sometimes I'll run the double dipsy, so I can actually run a, dip, a secondary dipsy off of that tree. So I'll have my, my wire dipsy on a downrigger, and then I'll actually sometimes run another dipsy on the bottom of the, uh, of the tree, since it has an adjustable um, arm. And then I'll run two boards on the outside. So as long as you have that tree in front or towards the front of the boat, you know, halfway up, it makes it a lot easier uh, to access the rods when you get a bite. Very good. When you're out on the water, uh, you know, the, probably the, the most important thing, and it's something that uh, fish hawk users find very important, obviously, is trolling speed. You know, our show sponsored by Fish Hawk. You got the Fish Hawk banner behind you. Uh, we'd love it if everybody used a fish hawk, but uh, the reality is, and I think what's great about this episode and what we're talking about here is hopefully a lot of beginners listen to this and go and watch your video and get inspired to go out and and try big water fishing. Um, and, and the reality is a lot of those people are not going to have a fish hawk. You know, they're going to go out and kind of dip their toe in the water. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about trolling speed? And how you would set that up if you didn't have a fish hawk, and just kind of how you kind of monitor that throughout the day and try to keep your lines working optimally. 
The main key for, for speed is not really the, your surface speed. I always look at my Dipsy rods. Um, I've been using the same Dipsy rod for probably 15 years. So I know um, how they, they look when they're, when they're trolling at the right speed. Um, I compare both my Dipsy rods. If I look, if my port rod is not, uh, it's not digging in and my starboard rod is digging in hard, I know there's some sort of current and I try to even turn the boat at the right angle to even both of them up uh, at the same time. Uh, also my downriggers, you know, I, I keep an eye on the, on the cable just to make sure that there's enough uh, blowback so I know that there's a, I'm moving at the right speed. And then I compare that to my top speed, which is usually 2.2 two to 2.5, you know, that, that's usually a good speed. But if I'm not getting the right bend or the right blowback on my downrigger or my Dipsy rods, then I know I have to either speed up, slow down, or turn the boat. Because angles are really important. You have to get the right angles to get a consistent bite throughout the day. And try to take note if you're getting more bites going southeast, southwest, northwest, and try to keep those angles. And if you turn back around and you're not getting bit, do try change up your speed again and change the angle instead of coming back southeast. Maybe try coming back more south or or east and then south. You know, like just kind of tack until you get a bite because you want your spoons or your dodgers running at the right speed. That's that's really the key. Right speed, right angle uh, when you're trolling. Yeah, it's something that we tell a lot of people that are new to our product too is, you know, that number isn't really so important. What it is, is if you're catching fish at a certain number, you want to replicate that. So if you're out there, you're a new person and you don't have a fish hawk, you know, maybe the, the angle and how those lines look isn't quite so important. But when you're catching fish, try to replicate that look as you continue to, to go out and, and try to try to catch fish. Uh, you're using a, a multitude of different tools to kind of keep that speed the way you want it. Tell us a little bit about your setup there, how you use your kicker with your trolling motor and what other tools you might be using to kind of keep that speed the way you want it. Yeah, so a lot of times, most of the time, I'll troll with my front trolling motor down, and I try to keep that uh, setting about four or five and then I have a kicker motor in the back. So let's say the wind is blowing the nose of my boat to the left. I'll try to compensate my kicker motor by turning it against the or turning the nose of the boat into the wind with a kicker motor. Because I want to keep my trolling motor as straight as possible. Because when that trolling motor is running on an angle, there's a lot of vibration. And sometimes I feel like you're you are spooking the fish when that trolling motor is on an angle. And you can actually hear or feel the vibration when you're running. So always try to keep your boat running straight Try to, by having your trolling motor and your kicker motor working in tandem. All right. How about uh, trolling bags, things like that, to kind of keep yourself going straight? Or, or sometimes you just have to slow down depending on how things are going. Yeah, you can definitely use a trolling bag if you didn't have a kicker motor to adjust. Um, I've seen guys use a bucket. But yes, trolling bags will definitely help you, especially when there's a lot of swell to kind of keep you from surging too far, too fast. It definitely helps your boat control if you use a, a drift sock. All right, you talked uh, right there about swells. Uh, staying on top of the on top of the weather is going to be really important. Uh, can you tell people kind of how you go about doing that and how you would recommend they do that if they're planning on going out on the big water and their small boat? 
a lot of times for for us here in the western side of Lake Michigan, west wind typically is our friend, and anything under uh, 15 miles an hour is usually really good uh, for fishing. It, it's you're not going to beat yourself up. Uh, the waves are usually going to be three foot or less with 15 miles an hour. Uh, like I said, you know, two three days of west wind pushes that warm water towards Michigan, and we'll get an upwelling uh, on the beach. I've seen it in August where we have three days of solid west wind and we have 42 degree water right on the beach. Um, it's nice to have uh, a bigger boat, but obviously, you know, as long as you keep watching the weather and just go out when when it allows you, it'll, you'll be able to fish almost five, 10 miles out with a smaller boat. Yeah, it's uh, it's brisk getting out there on the beach and taking a dip when it's forty two degrees. <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, I, I'm a biologist by trade, so I actually have sensors on the lake, and I monitor the beaches, so I, I know that when I can see those temp drop real time. Sometimes it's it's interesting how fast that water gets turned over. What kind of safety equipment uh, should people be prepared to go out in the water with? Maybe they've been fishing inland lakes with their, you know, 19, 20 foot Lund, and now they're gonna go out and fish the big water. What safety equipment should they uh, make sure that they have on board before they head out? Uh, the best thing to do is is go to Waukegan. We, we have an auxiliary, a Coast Guard auxiliary, and they'll actually do a free boat check for you. You know, and some of the biggest things that people uh, forget is that the battery terminal covers. That's one thing they always check for, but all in all, make sure you have all the life jackets uh, at the, the correct sizes. Uh, if you have kids, they have to have kids specific that would, um, uh, you can't have an XL adult for a kid. You know, it, it doesn't work that way. If you have an inflatable life jacket, you have to be wearing it. Otherwise, it doesn't count as a life jacket. Uh, flares definitely are, are needed or required. And I've actually purchased a new one with the battery powered, so I don't have to keep buying flares every year. Uh, VHF radio, I know it's kind of not required anymore, but it's still good to have. You can listen on to the, the, the guys underwater fishing and also for safety. You can contact the Coast Guard or, or the Marina a lot faster with a VHF radio. All right, Gerard, uh, I want to talk to you about a few other topics, but uh, let's put this one to bed. Is there anything about uh, small craft salmon fishing on the big water that I didn't ask you about that you wanted to talk about today? So, you know, the beauty about Lake Michigan is uh, we, it's not like walleye or bass fishing. You know, there's, there's plenty of fish to catch. It's a put and take fishery. So when you're out here, you know, when you're doing good, you get to share that information. You know, it's not, like I said, we're not fishing a secret hump or a secret weed line. Uh, it, it's, we've seen this community grow here in our harbors. Uh, we have a good Facebook page. Uh, Waukegan Winthrop Harbor, or Winthrop Harbor Waukegan Salmon Reports, and we share almost all, pretty much all the information that we have. And we've seen a lot of guys, we've talked to a lot of guys that, that share the information and receive information, and they're like, man, I've never caught so many fish, you know, in my life since we've done this info sharing thing. So I'm like, yeah, you know, me too, I, I benefit from it. Instead of running out there, you know, looking for fish, you have at least a starting point in the next day or two on, on where to find a fish. Yeah, it's amazing. Those Facebook pages are popping up. Uh, I belong to a few different ones just to kind of keep an eye on what's happening. Uh, but it's really fun to see that and kind of see what people are doing and how they're going going, and uh, 
like you said, kind of the, one of the coolest things that, that I see in there is just the support among anglers and people trying to help other people. And it's nice to see people get excited when someone else has some success. So uh, that, that's a big deal. Uh, speaking of success, you recently were part of the 2022 Black Bass Championships in South Carolina. You fished on uh, Team Philippines. Tell us a little bit about that experience. Right. Uh, it's really amazing, you know, seeing 25 countries. And uh, I'm not a full-time bass angler, but, you know, I got recruited to fish. And I was born in the Philippines, and they said that was good enough to to be on the team. So I grabbed all my bass tackle and, you know, went down there. We had two days to pre-fish. And, of course, you know, the when I got there, they had record uh, cold. It was like 34 degrees. It was actually warmer here in Chicago than I was down there in, in South Carolina. And, uh and the bass down there are really different. They act differently. They're feeding on blueback herring, and they're out in 50 feet of water, blowing up like they're, they're stripers. So when the cold front hit, that bite kind of shut down, and it took us a little bit uh, longer to, to figure out a pattern. So we had two days to pre-fish on a 50,000-acre lake, but we managed to catch some fish. You know, we finished mid-pack. I think we ended up, for our team, uh, 26th out of 65 teams. And there were 25 countries represented throughout the throughout the world. Yeah, very cool. It's it's so interesting to me when you see these fish, and it's the same fish, but it, it actually it it acts completely different on different bodies of water. You know, we shoot the show here. I, I do a lot of fishing in Minnesota and Wisconsin, and and our walleyes are like a completely different species compared to how like Lake Erie walleyes feed. So. Uh, you go to different bodies of water, and the same fish do completely different things. So that's uh, that's exciting, and that's something that uh, I also wanted to talk to you about. Uh, you go out and find some exotic places once in a while, do some fishing. Uh, late this summer, you took a big trip. Tell us a little bit about that trip. Yeah, this trip we actually planned it uh, before COVID hit, and you know we were, I was down in Bolivia. Uh, you know, seeing. Uh, guys on TV catching our pima, and I'm like, man, I, I got to put that fish in, on the bucket list. So uh, when this trip came up, you know, it, it got delayed for two years, and fortunately this year we we're able to go. Uh, it was down in Bolivia. It's on the upper reaches of the Amazon River, and there's a lot of big catfish, a lot of big arapaima. When you catch a, a catfish and it's only 50 pounds, you're kind of disappointed. You know, you're looking for that 80 to 100 plus pound pound catfish down there and the arapaimas get pretty big too uh lots of 100 to 200 pound fish that's that's very cool um you you touched a little bit earlier in the show about being a biologist uh tell us a little bit about that and, and what you're doing there and what that looks like um for the most part most of my work here on biology for lake county we we do water quality testing on, on most of the lakes and two years ago, we submitted a grant to uh, for nutrient reduction with the EPA, and we got an electro fishing boat for carp removal. And one of my main goals was to remove carp uh, from some of the lakes that we have here and try to see if we can bring back aquatic plants. So our first year, we removed 35,000 pounds in uh, six or seven lakes. And then this year we added, I haven't checked the numbers yet, but we, we removed a lot of carp again this year. And we're actually finally seeing these lakes, the water clarity in these lakes improved. Uh, there's one lake, a slough lake. We've never seen the bottom on this lake. And until this year, we're actually seeing five, uh, five feet 
into the into the lake. So it's it's pretty cool to see that these lakes are actually starting to heal itself by you know by carp removal. So we're hoping in two two more years we'll get these lakes back on track. Very cool. You and I uh, were talking on the phone a couple of days ago about that, and you know we were talking about you're out on the water, you're doing your job, and because you're not fishing, because you're focused on other things, you're able to kind of learn things that maybe you wouldn't learn if you were actually just out there trying to fish. Um, tell us a little bit about that and kind of how that works and, and just, uh, you know, some of the advantages of, of just doing what you're doing and being able to observe fish and, and how they kind of act in a normal, I guess, normal situation. Yeah, um, a lot of times, you know, people were so structure oriented when we're, we're fishing inland lakes. Like, for example, for bass, we're always casting into the docks um, or casting into the trees. You'll actually be surprised that there's a, quite a few fish in between the docks, not relating to anything. Um, when we're just going down the shoreline, you know, it's basically sand, and all of a sudden, a school of bass just gets uh, gets stunned by the electro fishing boat. And another one that Carp are actually very, very, very territorial. They'll they'll actually use uh, sunken logs or trees. You'll be surprised that there's actually 20 carp in one sunken tree, and not a single bass. And the bass are just out roaming. So yeah, when you go out bass fishing, just don't just concentrate on those sunken trees or or uh, or docks because you'll actually find a lot of fish in between. Um, or if when we're going down. Uh, cattails you know you have on a very cold day you'll have a wind shadow where a little area just is is flat calm and the sun's beating on it and all the bluegills are in that one little area that has a little wind shadow protected from the cold wind so it doesn't have to be visible or hard structure it can be a wind a, a, a wind blocker that keeps the the keep keeps the fish a little bit warmer in that pocket yeah, that's, that's super, super interesting. And just got to be a lot of fun kind of seeing these types of things and observing them when you're out there. Gerard, if people want to find out more about you or go fishing with you, what's the best way to kind of get in contact with you or keep tabs on what you're up to? Um, I actually just have my Facebook page, uh, Gerard Urbanozo. Uh, just look me up on Facebook. Uh, my email is on there too. Or if you want my emails, it's uh, esox at ymail.com. Or my phone number, 847-602-1632. Very good. Gerard Urbanozo, really appreciate you coming on the show today, talking some small boat salmon, talking about some other topics. It was fun to have you on the show. I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, enjoy uh, as the winter months as they, as they approach. Sounds good. Looking forward to some ice fishing here. There you go. Thanks for having me. Thank you.